Welcome to Ballistic Radio. Join us as we explore the subtlety and nuance inside the world of personal protection. Listen as industry experts, thought leaders, and pioneers investigate why it depends is the answer of champions. Ballistic Radio, critical thought over empty rhetoric. Ballistic Radio is brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance. Big Tech's Ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at bigtechsordinance.com. And now, here's your host. John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. I am John Johnston, your host. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com and get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other stuff at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And apparently I haven't had enough caffeine this morning or potentially nicotine, because I meant to remind you guys, you can visit Big Tech's Ordinance online at BigTechsOrdinance.com. Hey, Joe. That was very smooth. Did, did you like that? Hey, it's kind of like riding a elephant. I mean... Kind of hard. <laughs> I've actually ridden an elephant before when I was like a little kid, and I found it amazingly easy. Now, I was not steering the elephant... So I suspect it's one of those things where, like, you know, steering the elephant would, you know, this is just going right off the rails. Right, right, right off the bat. Immediately off the rails. So, hey, I'm super excited. We have a brand new first time guest joining us on the show, Dan Smith from Centrifuge Training. Hey, Dan, how's it going? It's going really well. How are you doing? I I can't complain, man. I'm living the dream, <laughs> but like actually, not like the the depressed like living the dream. You know, thing that most of the people in our, our industry say when really what they're saying is, "I wish I had gone to college or trade school and done anything other than this." No, I'm actually very very happy to be here. Good. Yeah, yeah me too. But I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. Hey, I'm glad. I'm glad that that you're excited to be here now. Do you prefer Dan or Dano? Because Will seems to like be really on that, and I I, <laughs> I don't know if you have a preference or not. Uh, yeah, Dan, Dan or Dano. Um, you know, my mother calls me Daniel. It's just it's just how it goes. So um, most most people know me. It's it's from my uh, Instagram, mm-hmm. um, but most people will call me Dano in, in class. Sweet. Uh, I love it. Chase, it's not, nothing better than uh, hearing uh, Chase say Dano in a, in a Southern accent. Well, Chase is just amazing, and uh, his dulcet tones are just make any day brighter and happier. Uh, That's a fact. F- for those that don't know, uh, who are you, what do you do, and we'll hop right in. So of course. Uh, my name's Dan Smith. I'm a, a full-time police officer up here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I've been doing that for uh, a few years. Um. I also am an adjunct instructor for Centerfuge Training. Uh, I got brought on by Will to teach uh, RDS instructor class. And the reason I teach the RDS instructor class is because I help uh, implement and oversee a Red Dot program at both my department uh, and on my uh, SWAT team. And then uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to start uh, traveling the country and train coppers on how to implement uh, Red Dot pistols as a program into their department. So I guess my first question for you, and the reason why I 
kind of approached you to come onto the show is there was recently an article um, that Recoil did, and I thought it was a good article. So I'm not I'm not denigrating the article. I I thought it had a lot of really good points. Um, but you essentially made a meme that brought up the fact that it was talking about backup iron sights and you, you essentially made a meme that brought up the kind of the point that a lot of the failures that we see with red dots has nothing to do actually with the dot failing, but is more a failure of, I guess, I'm not even going to say technical proficiency, but just sometimes stuff happens on a presentation or whatever. And that, hey, in certain situations, for the more common stuff, like these can be handy. So I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you want to just talk about that or if you want to get into um, your thoughts on, I guess, the popular internet wisdom on dots versus the realities of teaching it especially at like an agency level or to sure. a newer uh newer end user level but but we'll just see where the conversation goes okay uh well they're all and and they're, they're actually kind of like all tied together when you look at how agencies are tasked with rolling out uh red red dot programs uh some of the problems you see in transitioning shooters um to the technical side of it with the actual red dot itself um so with uh i I agree with you i I thought the article was actually very well written um and made some made some excellent points uh and it wasn't the first time that 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 had come up there were some other uh there are other instructors in the industry that um made made those points as well like hey you don't need backup iron sights on red dot pistols but from uh my experience when we look at Backup irons on, on pistols, the most common use for them is actually the teaching method of getting people to under, like, transition from iron sights to red dots. Um, it's a data, it's a data point of as you're working on your draw stroke and you cannot find the dot, if you have them go to your irons and then as you as the instructor ask them, hey, when you found your dot, where did it come from? That's, that is going to help you isolate what's actually going on that's mm-hmm. causing them to not find the dot in the first place. So it's, it's a good, like, and, and I think there, there are comments on it, it's like they're, they're training wheels. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, a, a purpose of them is training wheels in order to help you as the instructor um, and then you as the student get that immediate feedback of, uh, of what's going on with your draw stroke. Right. Um, it could, could be a draw stroke, right? Um, the other, which ties into the other part, is like when we look at transitioning officers um, from, you know, think think of that like twenty year vet um, who's who's been uh, shooting irons for their entire career, but we can't say they've been training hard with them, right? They'll they'll come out to all the in service training you put on. Um, they obviously have to qualify every year, but they're not like gun people, so they have developed more often than not little like tips and tricks that have helped them with iron sights that haven't had any like negative consequence in their, in their qualification. So the most common for uh, common problem or most common symptom of that is casting. So the gun comes up into your eye line, but if you actually look at the angle of the slide, it's pointed up. Yep. And so they find their front sight, they press that down their eye line. And then at the last second, they cast that front sight down into their rear sight touch. Right. And we as instructors will tell them like, Hey, 
that's a really inefficient drop stroke. And, and they'll just nod your head and be like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then they'll keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Because what's usually happening is eyesight is failing, and they know they need to focus on the front sight. So they'll get super focused in on it. And then uh, as, as, a, as a trainer, so I used to, I used to work a dog um, for the department, and, this, and it really came into, into effect, is there is no negative consequence. So if there's no negative consequence whatsoever and they keep doing it, there's, there's no reason for that person to stop the behavior. So when you transition them to a red dot, they're going to go through the same motion, except now they can't really see their front sight. They know they're supposed to be staring at the target. And at the last second, they're at full presentation. And if they're running a smaller, a smaller windowed optic like an RMR, they can't see the dot at all. So then they panic. And I can't figure out why this is. Um, I can't find the science behind it, but for whatever reason, the first inclination of the shooter is to lift the gun up at that point when they can't find the dot, which means if they were going to find it, they definitely can't find it now. That dot's just going up into the glass and it's gone. And then they bring the wrist down, and the dot casts through the target, and then they end up snatching, uh, snatching the shot because they're trying to time it. They're like, oh, my gosh, there's the dot, and then they try to press the shot off. Right. So, iron, irons provide you that. That, that sort of correction, you're like, hey, man, when you're at full presentation, now find, now find your, um, like, I can't find the dot, I can't find the dot, my iron. Align your irons. And you see them align your irons. They see where the dot comes from. So then the first question for the instructor to the student is like, hey, when you find a dot, where come from? The dot came from the top. So now you know you need to isolate a grip issue. So, again, it's that corrective feedback. Right. So. Well, and then the other part of it was low light, which is a whole other, a whole other topic. Well, and, and I want to ask about that. We've actually got to go to break, um, but when we get back, we'll talk more with Dan Smith from Centrifuge Training. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordnance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at bigtechsordnance.com. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat, makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977. A legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the EDC X9 and Xperior series of firearms, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match-grade accuracy, superior ergonomics, and concealability with modern service pistol capacity, as well as reliability at wilsoncombat.com. So we're talking with Dan Smith from Centrifuge Training about red dots and training on red dots. And you were essentially talking about iron sights and how they're training wheels. And and something that kind of strikes me because, you know, I'm fortunate enough to uh, convince people to come out and train with me on occasion. And I get a lot of red dot shooters and I've spent uh, a little bit of time with red dots myself. And... The the thing that's always curious to me and, and really the best kind of thing I can liken it to, you know when you watch someone go to a match and they get a malfunction, they just kind of stare at the gun like, what just happened here and what should I do about it? Yeah. Um, and the same thing kind of happens with dots when the dot isn't where someone expects it to be. And I, I watch people get locked into, well, I need to have the dot to shoot. And what are these bumpy things on top of the gun still? I mean, and and for me, you know, 
in addition to the diagnostic tool of where is the dot coming from when I align the irons if I don't have the dot initially, it's also just kind of the added benefit of like, oh, all right, just transition to irons. If the dot comes back, cool. And if it doesn't, no big deal. Um, do you Do you think that people just get very, I guess, task-focused sometimes and forget the uh, the the overarching priority that's that's in front of them? Yeah. Yes. Ab- absolutely. And then a huge portion of that is uh, it's novelty. So they're they're new to the dot. They know the dot tells them where the round goes. So when the dot's not there, it causes them a little bit of panic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that's that's what they become super super task focused on. Um, whereas it, it, the, re- the reason we talk about transition classes or the reason we talk about like running a class in the first place specific to red dot instead of just throwing a red dot onto your gun and then hitting hitting the road with it is that you have to work through training to eliminate that novelty. Mm-hmm. You have to give your brain an, an, a, at least enough time with it to uh, to recognize what's going on. Um, you see, like, a portion of that is also where that myth of, like, dots are slower up close comes from. Yep. Because pe- people are just look into, like, hey, they, they remember how front, you know, hey, if I have a front sight, I have a rear sight. Um, the front sight has to be centered within the rear sight. I have to project that um, center mass of what I want to get hits on. And so then they put the red dot on there. They're like, oh, the dot tells me the round goes. So then that, that means my dot is my front sight and the glass is my rear sight. And that's not, that's not the case at all. Right. Um, where, or as, as you know, right, you have you have to exercise target focus. The target is now your front sight, and that dot can be anywhere within the glass, and it doesn't matter where it's at on the glass. It matters what the dot is covering, and that's a that's a concept that that folks have to break out of as well. Because um, we'll we'll see this see this with with shooters on the line. Is let's say you're running just just a build drill. And you're trying to trying to get your hits in your A zone. You bring the gun up, and the dot is sitting in the top right corner of the A zone. But your group has been blowing out the center of that A zone. You'll see them take. You'll see shooters take time to drag that dot over to either the group, or they'll take time to drag the dot into the center of the glass before they before they break those shots. So it, it's it's one of those things where it's it's novelty because it's it's new, and they're trying to fit their old old way of uh, thinking that's tried and true into new technology that does that doesn't translate well and it it strikes me too that a big part of that is you know i I shot irons before I ever shot a dot because I've been shooting for a while now, and um, when I started to get a little more technically proficient. You know, the number of times that the irons were perfectly aligned, uh, depending on the target, obviously, uh, yeah. became less and less. And, you know, you you just start to get a feel for it. And, you you know, the the thing that strikes me is because all of a sudden with the, the big, you know, glowing dot, you're much more visually aware. Uh, and, and plenty of people have talked about this. This is not an idea original to me. Um, you're much more visually aware of what the gun's actually doing. And it's, for some people, very distracting. And it it's almost like people are trying to not get as much visual feedback. So they're, I'm going to hold this thing really still. And then... Really, really still? 
still? Yeah, really still. <laughs> oh, it's moving. And just because they they weren't as visually aware of the irons doing that, but now all of a sudden they can see the dot, and it just messes with people's brains. It is. Well, I mean, it's not anchored to anything. So uh, your front sight, your front sight moves as much as the dot does. Yep. Uh, it's bouncing back and forth between a rear rear sight notch. Uh, obviously, like I'm not the creator of this idea, or even even like just just like basic basic understanding, especially through transitioning uh, transitioning at hundreds at this point. So as as they're starting to see that, when they go to the red dot, um, that is, that is where like hey, they know the dot's important. It tells them where the round goes, so they're naturally inclined to want to shoot at it. And so I'll, I'll always make the Talladega Nights reference in class, um, where it's like Karen, you have to be calm. So if you're calm, the cougar's calm, <laughs> right? So, and, and that's the thing is like, if, if you start to notice that that dot is wobbling, the more you stare at it, the more it's going to start to move. And then the more you're going to wrench into the gun, trying to get it to stop moving, you're staring at it, increasing grip pressure more so than you ever need to. And that's going to make the dot move even more. Now it's going to start to vibrate. So then you're like, oh, now I need to put even more pressure into this guy. Now it's starting to vibrate even more. And then eventually at some point your brain's just like, oh man, screw it. I'm going to take the shot. And then, and then you can't be surprised that that was like, they had a case of this Pressburg says case of the flinchies comes right on out. And now, and now they're not, not hitting uh, where they want to go. And then you'll, that's where you'll see shooters start to walk, walk away from it. They're like, I don't need this technology. Um, I, I don't want to relearn. And uh, and then and then that kind of is the other other part of um, transitioning officers is the bruise to the ego that comes with it. Yeah, you are you are essentially having them relearn sight alignment, sight picture, which is one of the core fundamentals on how you get hits on target. So where they were at shooting with iron sights, they are going they are going to see a backslide as they relearn sight alignment sight picture and as I and as they'll as they'll tell them like hey you're gonna backslide you're going to feel like a new shooter again but your plateau of where you're gonna go with a red dot is significantly higher than where you were at with irons. It it strikes me too that depending on how you know someone has originally learned how to grip the gun um, that shooting a dot lends itself to a passive grip a little bit more than, um, it, and again, for me, so I'm, I'm not saying for anyone else, but for me, at least, uh, you know, previously in the past, I was one of the keep the gun from moving guys. Like I'm going to lock mm-hmm. that gun down is as much as I possibly could. Uh, and now I'm just trying to make it behave predictably. Um, and, and like, I'm not trying to get extraneous movement, but I'm also not trying to keep it still. And that has resulted again, only for me, not, um, in a lot easier time as far as managing the dot, managing what I see, managing it under recoil and all that. And it, it seems to, cause I, you know, clearly if people come to my class, I teach the grip that I use and you know, whether they adopt it or not, that's, that's up to them. Um, but it seems to help a lot of people out too. When we get back from the break, I'd kind of like to get your thoughts on grip and how all of that, uh, plays together if you're cool with it. Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. We're talking with Dan Smith from Centrifuge Training. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. 
Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordnance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at BigTechsOrdnance.com. This segment also brought to you by Big Tech's Ordnance. Big Tech's Ordnance is the best place for you to find all of your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the Candela from Modlite at the lowest price? No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room and, well, now you need an optic on your pistol? Big Tech's Ordnance has those, and they don't judge much. Glock accessories, yes, fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, Big Tech's Ordnance has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike, everybody likes Ike, and you'll like Ike too. Visit BigTechsOrdnance.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. So we're talking with Dan Smith about optics on pistols that you could buy from Big Tech's Ordnance. Um, and before the break, I was, I was kind of asking you about how grip plays in all of this and how different grip styles play in all of this. And if you're okay with it, I'd love for you to riff off that for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So for grip, and it actually ties into transitioning shooters. So when we look at, when we look at grip, some of the issues that, that crop up are that awesome grip angle that comes from Glock pistols, right? Um, just, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I love, love Glock, shot them, shot them for a while. Um, and with that, with that angle, what a lot of shooters don't re- recognize is that when they relax their wrist and they, and they grip the gun like a hammer, which I don't advocate for, but when they grip the gun like a hammer, um, that, that wrist, that wrist angle with the Glock angle, it actually has the gun kind of pointed up. And then, so when you look at the slide, you see it pointed up. And if you're running a small windowed optic, that dot's going to be sitting in the top portion of the optic to the portion to the and in the part where they may not be able to see it. So you'll have these folks running running through draw stroke presentation out to the target, and they're and they're they have this very neutral wrist angle, and they're like, man, I can't find it. And then so that that's, again it ties back in. You're like, hey go to your irons and as they do so as they actually engage the the wrist like they should to now not only mitigate recoil but uh, get their wrist in line with that with that grip angle now that now you see the dot on a more on a more consistent basis so for for me one of the things that that I teach or I'll talk about um, that will help folks with that is like hey with your thumbs I want you to imagine that you're actually pointing at what you're looking at with your thumbs I don't care where the thumb pressure goes just yet, because um, you also know, some pe- people, right? They'll teach with their support hand that your thumb presses into the frame. Um, you'll have some that are like, "Hey, man, you can just just leave that neutral." Um, and until I get to that point where I'm more focused on like, what what is your thumb actually pointed at? And with them treating it like a pointer finger, that helps them align that dot in space and have it start to appear. Like so, they don't have to. They don't have have to go to their irons, um, and they can get to the point where they don't. They don't need them, um, and they're and they're just there um, for when the pot fails, kind of thing. Right. But at, at the same at the same time, like up until that point, we're like we're trying we're trying to get them to relearn side alignment, side picture. But in the process of doing that, they'll recognize just how terrible their grip is been with iron sights because they're getting in the immediate visual feedback every time they present the gun that dots high. And in the past they were like, oh, 
they're like, oh, I never had this problem with your with my irons. But then you you go back to their their groups of their irons and they're printing high, or they have such a bad flinch response that they're not where they're at mentally when they're shooting. Not at not where they're at mentally where they should be when they're shooting. So so they're they're they are printing low and left, but their initial alignment that front side's high. Yeah, they don't they don't recognize it. Yeah. Well, it strikes me too that I've encountered quite a few very experienced shooters that don't actually have any idea what they're doing when they do it. And if you ask them to diagnose what's going on, they might be able to, you know, sort of regurgitate one of the common, you know, tropes of why people miss. Well, I guess I yanked the trigger or. Yeah something like that. And it's like, no, that's not what happened at all, but you know, okay. Um, do you find that part of what you're doing is actually explaining the mechanics of shooting to people so they can begin to, in conjunction with now having this improved visual feedback, start to self-diagnose and self-correct? Absolutely, and it's and it's one of the advantages. So before uh, before I got you know dot dots approved at the department, um, and I'm and I was like in the in the process of, of learning all of this, um, I one of the things I would do is on on range days I would have a red dot pistol out. So you'd have shooters that would have you know terrible case case of the flinches, or they're having trouble aligning, or they're having trouble getting their hits hit. Um, at twenty five, we're doing you know steel. Uh, whatever they're like, man, I just don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, all right, yeah, let me see your gun. Here's mine. The red dot tells you where the round goes. Go ahead and stare at the target. Have them bring it up. And then as they're going to break the shot, they're like, oh man, I'm like what is the, is the dot moving? They're like, yeah, I'm like that. That's your flinch in real time. They're like, oh. So then I, you know, so I go through a, a mental process um, when we talk about when we talk about shooting. Like, hey, what are you what are you thinking about? What are you concentrating on? And then as as we start to reset that. Then they go to um, go to break the shot, and now they're getting that visual feedback, and they're getting self that self diagnostics. Their ability to correct their own problems are going to stay with them much longer than me just telling them like, "Hey, that's a grip issue here. Let's put your hands here. Do this. Do that." If I can get them to recognize it's a grip issue that they need to fix, then it that that is going to that correction is going to stay with them significantly longer than if I just if I just tell them like, "Hey." Do X, Y, and Z, and you'll get your hits. And they'll they'll do it. They'll do X, Y, and Z and get their hits, but they're not going to remember it. Right. So out of out of curiosity, again, a lot of the arguments that that I see take place online regarding you know dot implementation or training or stuff like that is coming from a lot of people who have done a lot of shooting either on a flat range or maybe in competition, is there, and I don't know the answer to this, I have some guesses, but I think you'd probably have a better perspective than I would. Are there any concerns or issues that uh, law enforcement have with dots that don't necessarily crop up in those environments? Well, so the the number, the, the two things that usually come up when, you know, you have a young, young Thundercat at the department decides like, hey, man, I'm, I dread dots to the future, and I'm going to get my department to buy off on this. So they they put their they put their proposal together. Um, you know, they hopefully have gotten some training, and then they they walk into the chief's office. They're like, "Hey, chief, 
uh, we need to authorize red dots and here's why. Usually one of the first things the command's going to say is, well, what happens if you um, fall in a ditch or get, it gets covered in mud, dirt, sand, whatever? That's, that's usually the first one that, that crops up. So how do you how do you have the dot work through the through those environments? Because the second follow like the follow up question is usually what happens if it rains? Mm-hmm. That's a big thing up here in the northwest, right? We're just now starting our rainy season where it's going to rain for nine months straight. Right. So I know it's fantastic up here. Everyone should come. So I'm just I'm just getting dumped. So, <laughs> so I like it up uh, there fine, but I'm only visiting for like a weekend whenever I go up there. Yeah, if, yeah. If you want, if you want to be a cop, like West, Western Washington's not not for you. It's so uh, that's a whole other show. Um, and anyways, so when with with that, it's running the dots through those adverse conditions um, when it's not perfectly sunny. When when you have uh, rain, snow, how do you get the gun employed uh, in low light situations? It's it's all of it's as I say it's it's the context in which you employ the the dot that becomes the big uh, crutch for law enforcement when with that transition and uh, you know for a portion of the class is like hey at the end of the day when you walk into that chief's office and the chief asks you like hey what happens if this gets covered in dirt snow whatever you can tell the chief like hey that may be an issue depending on the on the tech that you choose right here are you doing an opened admitter versus closed admitter but this is how we're going to train it in our transition class. And, Chief, here's a policy that says we're going to mandate training has to occur before you carry it out, out, out on the street. Right. So it's, those, it's, when the, it's when everything is not going perfect that that is where training needs, needs to live um, when, you're, when you're transitioning officers. There's the initial portion of it as they're rewriting site alignment site picture. And then the next part of that is what happens when it's not a perfect dot. Okay. Because there's no context for the for the shooter at that point. We should be doing it with patrol rifles, but we we don't. It's not a. We have accepted their reliability so much that we've stopped going back to those. So um, when I when I first got started in law enforcement, red dots on law enforcement like red dots on patrol rifles were just. We're like we were in like full swing of implementation, but there were like I would go to the state academy, and the state academy had had folks teaching there that said, you know, "We'll never trust our life to a battery." And this is like in 2008. So, huh. and I was like, "Wait, but I I carried this on my on my rifle in 05 in Iraq. Like this isn't new. You guys are acting like this is new technology, and it's not. It's been around forever." Yeah. Um, but that's the thing. And guys will tell you horror stories, right? When they were when they were some of the first. First dudes to show up at class with red dots on their on their rifles, and the shoot like the instructors would throw that stuff in the mud. Um, they they turn it off like mid shooting. They're like, all right, what are you going to do now? It doesn't work. But it's but <laughs> that technology is from using this in quotes so old and so reliable that it's not even part of a our like patrol rifle training anymore. Like what happens when the dot fails? This was like so. Now we're in the second generation of this. Only now it's on pistols, and that that comes up. Well, what happens when it's dirty? It's been raining. You know, wh- like how do you how do you work through it? And the answer to that is like, well, you you run these drills, and then you ensure that it's on random mode so that we can work the decision making process, and that will build the context that the shooter needs to be able to run it in any condition that 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 they find it find themselves in. 
Well, I have a I have a follow up question, but we have to go to break. Right now, we're talking okay. with uh, Dan Smith from Centrifuge Training. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordnance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at pigdexordnance.com. We're talking with Dan Smith from Centrifuge Training about red dots, uh, red dot transitions for law enforcement, stuff like that. Uh, you were talking about <clears throat> how in one context on patrol rifles, Dots are seen as like uber reliable to the point where they don't even worry or are concerned about the things that people used to be concerned for. But now that sort of focus and attention has kind of fallen onto slide mounted optics on pistols. Um, and I guess sort of the uh, follow up question I have for you is what, in your opinion, is the ideal law enforcement dot gun setup if if agencies were looking and you know what what would the budget option be and what would the spare no expenses option be or are they the same option um well it's a little bit of both as us tell folks uh the optic that we've demanded from the industry isn't isn't here yet right. there's there there are some close optics they're they're close, um, but the the ultra durable um, can work through any any weather condition with long battery life uh, that is on manual adjust, not auto adjust. It just we're we're not quite there yet. The closest that we have out there, I think, is the Hollow Sun 509T, but that conjures up like a whole different um, issue that I, I I actually wasn't expecting. Um, and that, and that's like who who Holosun is and where they're manufactured, right? Um, and I, I did not expect the the backlash that comes from that in class because I've 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 run so I I think the duty duty optic to run is either the 509T or the Aimpoint Acro because closed emitter is more uh, it's less susceptible to the environmental conditions that we see on patrol. Sure. They're still durable. Nothing. Neither one is as durable as the RMR, which is the like that is that is the pinnacle of durability, but they are durable. They have more glass than than the RMR, which makes it easy easier to find the dot a little bit more forgiving. They are manually adjustable, which allows them to keep up with those transient lighting conditions that we find ourselves in, from traffic stops to building clearing. Um, and and uh, the way they mount um, has less failure points with that cross bolt system. So you just have to focus on hey. Uh, because almost everything for law enforcement is run off plates because we can't mill duty guns, right? Yeah. Um, so the, you're you're only talking about three points of failure: the two the two screws that hold the plate to the slide, and the cross bolt system that mounts it. And the way that absorbs uh, the 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 inertia right of the slide cycling, um, I've seen less failures out of those closed emitter optics than I have with open emitter optics, where the two screws can back off on your RMR. Or the two screws can loosen on your slide, and you're not really sure which one. But either any one of those screws loosening is a loss. A loss is zero, and at some point will shear off. Um, and then it's it's $185 from an armor to retap the screw. Yeah, just ask me how I know that. Very specific price point. Huh. <laughs> and it, anyways, but I, I think I think the when you're looking at like hey, um, 
spare no expense will probably be the Aimpoint uh, P2 because that'll fix the battery life issue. Um, whereas the P1 is fine, you just have to replace the battery every month um, in order to keep up with, uh, <laughs> in order to keep up, in order to, to keep up with running it at the at the setting that you you should when you're on duty, right? So it's it has ten settings. You're probably running it at a nine. Um, and when you run it at a nine, the battery, if you just leave it at that, it'll, it'll die in about a month and a half, Yeah. which for a lot of folks is a no-go. Um, so then when you look at the budget option, the budget option is the 509T, closed emitters, so it's not as susceptible to water, uh, water on the glass, the elements that, that go with it. Um, but it's a top-loading battery, so you don't have to remove the optic, uh, and it's 50,000 hours on the, on the battery life. The downside to it is... Um, one is uh, with closed emitter systems is if they fog, you can't see through them and you're not going to occluded shooting methods. Hmm. So, um, which, but that's treatable. Um, you have to treat open emitter and closed emitter systems. It's just with fogging, it's easier to work through with an open emitter system than a closed emitter system. Um, the trade-off is like, hey, especially if you're in the Northwest, right? Like, hey, we're going to go do a traffic stop. It's downpouring. When I, uh, for, my, for especially when I first implemented the program, we were running RMRs. So we had to issue everybody their own microfiber cloth. So like, hey, you, you, run, you run traffic, you get out. Like, hey, we took the traffic collision, get back in the, get back in the car, did not have to gunfight. That's rad. Um, grab a microfiber cloth. You got to wipe water out of the glass. And that kind of loops back to the start of the, like when you talk about transitioning officers is, with any red dot program, you have to embrace a higher level of maintenance. You just, there, there's no other way around it. Um, like I'm a huge fan of when you look at your programs, are you a can have versus shall issue agency? Like I, I hate agencies that just mandate red dots for everybody. Yeah. Because we can all think of that one, one person, right, Randy, who when they draw their gun for their qualification that one year, you can see the dust bunnies fly off their rear sight. Now, I don't mean like Randy specifically. Randy's just a made-up guy. Sure. So, <laughs> but but understand like, but we can all think of that one guy, and that one guy is usually what holds programs back. And they're like, oh, well, we can't do it because Bob over here uh, doesn't take care of his gun. You're like, hey, I've got a I've got a fix for this guy. Bob can stay on iron sights, and then the rest of you who are going to maintain your guns, you guys can get red dots because of all of the advantages that go with it. Um, the only people in my agency that don't get a say are are the recruits. Yeah, because they don't, they don't know any better, so they don't they don't know what like low level of maintenance iron sights are required. Right from the beginning, they they get to learn. Hey, you you do have to keep a microfiber cloth on. You do have to apply anti anti fog. You do have to change the battery out um, on a yearly basis. Um, and then and then especially especially with. Uh, the generation that we're getting in now in law enforcement, and they, they take they take the red dots. You're like, oh, I just start the target. The dot tells me where the round goes. Like, man, they're they're all over it. That's like some Call of Duty stuff. Exactly. Like, I don't even run irons in Call of Duty. Like, why why am I why am I out here on the street running irons? Like, no, nah, that's that's not how that not how that goes. <laughs> right. Well, and it it strikes me too that <clears throat> so primarily the. It's funny you mentioned points of failure as far as the uh, cross bolt versus, you know, the RMR. Um, I've, in my classes, oddly enough, seen more 
um, crossbolt style mounts fail. But every time they do, it's because somebody, when they put it on, was like, well, if tight is good, tighter is better. And oh, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's just funny, though, how that you're where you're coming from and who you see affects stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, again, not to say my experience is, you know, my experience is just my experience and it's not the totality of experience out there. Um, we're getting close to the end of the show. As far as what would you want people to know or to think about that we haven't covered, or maybe if you just want to dive deeper into something before we have to finish up, uh, what would you want? people to think about in regards to dots, dots for law enforcement, implementing a dot program, anything you want. Um, so when you're, uh, when you're standing there trying to get, trying to get the chief to buy off on this, uh, don't neglect the policy. Remember uh, in policy, it's got to cover three things. You've got to cover equipment, um, what it, what it is, uh, what's approved and how that looks. Um, training, you have to get into policy that training is required before you're able to carry it on the road. There's just two, with just what we've talked about uh, in the show alone. Um, there's too much out there that you, that you have to rewrite for the shooter to just say, I, I'll figure this out. Um, so you have to get training mandated. And the only way you get it mandated is if it's in the policy, um, for the most part with, with, uh, uh, police officers. And then the last part is it has to address, um, maintenance and maintenance of not only the equipment, but of the policy itself, because technology will keep advancing. So you have to be able to come back and say, hey, we need to authorize a new optic, not authorize the old optic, whatever whatever that may be, um, but keep the policy fresh. And then also allows you to keep up with, hey, we've been, we started off with just being able to squeeze four hours of training out of, out of uh, the department, and we're having failures. Like folks, folks are not grasping the concepts. We need to mandate more training, and you can you're able to to work that into the policy. But don't don't be that guy. Throws it on the throws it on the gun, and then qualifies with it. And you think just passing the qualification meets the standard to be able to survive your gunfight out on the road. Right. Um, if people want to come take a class with uh, with you, or uh, meet Will or Chase or any of the other guys. Uh, where can they find you all at? Yeah, absolutely. So centerfusetraining.com. Uh, the 2022 calendar should be up here any day now. Um, and we've got, if, so obviously, uh, vehicle, vehicle CTV, um, vehicles is the centerpiece of centerfuge. Um, but we have Brian Belize running a bunch of injured shooter low light stuff. Uh, Chase Jenkins running the three day stuff. I'm running uh, red dot instructor. Uh, we have Josh who's running applied urban sniper. Um, so check out centerfusetraining.com, um, find a count or uh, find something that works for you. Uh, hopefully a course is near you where we're across the U S uh, traveling. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, Dano 1812, I think is yeah. Dano 1812, uh, is the Instagram. Um, and I'll keep updates there for like red dot, red dot classes specifically. Um, and, and where they are for centrifuge. Awesome. Dude. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day, uh, early in the morning for you too. Um, yeah. it was, was really cool. And I am very much wanting to come out to one of your classes at some point in 2022. 
So absolutely, hey, you know, you know, you know, you're welcome anytime. Thank you so much for having me on. It was, it was truly an honor. Yeah, no, I appreciate you for thinking so. But uh, hey, be <laughs> safe, man. Hey, guys, make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And, hey, if you think we've earned it, please keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes or the Facebook page. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe and see you next week. Sometimes.